So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to this week's show. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that my day job is designing and delivering corporate speeches and consulting solutions through Sporting Edge. And we've created an incredible digital coaching platform where execs and entrepreneurs around the world can dial up our bite-sized digital content to use in the flow of work for meetings and to support their own performance through the challenges of the day. Well, the diversity of that digital library is huge and with around 110 world-class thinkers and performers in anyone from sports coaches through to neuroscientists through to thought leaders in business. And we're always interviewing more people. So some of the time, I'm looking for those new perspectives from experts that are thinking about elements like psychological safety or or hybrid working. But also I want to go back into that members community library and look for some of the key interviews that I haven't showcased yet. And this is a great example of an interview that we did a few years back with the effervescent Paralympian and now TV presenter Adia Depitan. Adi's insights are brilliant. Here's a taster of what's coming up. If you grow up in a world where you're wrapped up in cotton wool, where everything is prepared for you, it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. And, he, and I think he felt that it wasn't going to set me up for later life. As a disabled person, the reason why I wanted to get fit is because fitness gives you independence. If you see someone that's working hard um, and that's really passionate about something, I think something about it makes you empathise with them and want to help them. Sitting in my car, phoning up um, the friend of mine, in tears, saying, I don't know who I am. Nobody's going to care about me anymore. You know, I've stopped playing basketball. You know, what's going to happen with me? Each day, I just wanted to be a better player. And, And I think that's what drove me and it excited me. It's like, how good could you be? And I think everyone should, should say that, how, or, or ask themselves that, how good can you be? Adi was born in Lagos, Nigeria, and at the age of just 15 months, he contracted polio, which meant that he lost the function of his legs and ultimately couldn't walk. Age three, Adi moved to London. So let's zoom back to the beginning of Adi's story and those early experiences which shaped his competitive mindset and character. I think I've just always been really extremely passionate about competing. Um, 
I remember at home watching my friends outside playing football and playing different sports and my parents were quite overprotective actually for me. They were always worried about me going out um, on the streets. But I used to devise um, with running courses for, for, for my friends and, and, we, and, and I used to like work out the route to school and a different route home. And I used to say to them, you know, let's run this route, you know, let's push this route in the chair or go in your bikes and we'll time each other. And we called it the run. And I would be the chief timer. I'd be in the bedroom window and my next door neighbors uh, and my brother um, and that, they'd all go out and they'd do the run. And it was almost like a weekly challenge for us to try and get faster on, on this run. And I just loved the idea of being a better, um, athlete every day and I don't think I understood it as that was what it was trying to be a better athlete every day at that time but I just thought it was great I just thought wicked we did it in 10 minutes um, yesterday this today we're doing it in nine minutes and it, it gave me a buzz it gave me a thrill um, and also at school I think the first day I went to, to, to school and I played football um, I, I, most people don't know but I used to walk on calipers um, and uh, so I, I, I walked a little bit, I was quite awkward, and I asked the kids at school if I could join in at football, and of course when they saw me, they saw the way they, that I walked, that, that I looked different from them, and my mum also dressed me up ridiculously in some pink checkered flares, and, and she'd combed my hair into this massive afro, so I looked like a bit of a freak on my first day, but, uh, and not someone you'd expect to be good at sport. But once I convinced the guys to let me play football and I, and, and, and I showed them that I was a decent player, um, that then said to me, wicked, sport's going to open doors for you. Sport's going to give you the respect that you want. Um, so that was uh, another reason. And then finally, and this is something I only really thought about recently, and that is, as a disabled person, the reason why I wanted to get fit is because fitness gives you independence. You know, if I'm fit enough to be able to walk home on my calipers or get in my chair and push five, six, seven miles and not have to rely on other people to help you, you know, then yeah, I'm fine. And I'm that sort of person. I don't want to have to, I never wanted to have to constantly ask people for help. And that's what I felt. Being fit made me stronger. There are so many fascinating psychological insights from these colourful stories. Firstly, that he didn't become a recluse with his polio. He was arranging races, trying to beat his own record in his wheelchair. And those competitive juices were clearly flowing very early. And then as he describes that walk onto the playground where the cool kids were playing football must have taken a huge amount of courage. So he went in on his pink outfits and his calipers demanding to be given a chance, to be included in their game. This courage and self-belief is so inspirational and obviously led to Addy's social acceptance as well as kicked off his sporting journey. His motivation to be self-reliant called for hard work and physical pain, but won him respect and the independence he craved so much. I'm sure life wasn't easy and aside from sport, Addy's determination to be normal was tested by his family's choice to send him to the mainstream school in their local neighbourhood of East London. All disabled kids back then went to disability schools and able-bodied kids went to mainstream schools. Creedon was a mainstream school and my dad wanted me 
desperately to go to a mainstream school. He felt that if I went to a mainstream school, whether it was accessible or not, whether um, you know I had problems with the kids or not, it was going to be the best way to prepare me for later life. Because he, I think he felt that the world was not built for disabled people. You know, and if you grow up in a world where you're wrapped up in cotton wool, where everything is prepared for you, it's unrealistic. It's unrealistic. And, he, and I think he felt that it wasn't going to set me up for later life. So Creedence School, school built before the war, four storeys, loads of stairs. You know, it was about a mile walk from my house to the school. Uh, so everything I had to do, I had to work for. You know, going to lessons, you know, when you've got polio and you're on calipers and walking 100 yards is a struggle. You know, imagine having to climb up four flights of stairs just to go to a lesson, you know, just to go to classes and keeping up with the kids and, and being surrounded by able-bodied kids, being surrounded by the real world. And I think that's what set me up. And, I, and, and also the fact that I was able to prove to my peers, I was able to prove to able-bodied kids, kids who had physical advantage over me, that I could match them in a sporting way because of my competitive nature. So this is a kid that had a visible disadvantage that could have asked for special support and treatment, but actually wanted the hardship to develop his physical and emotional strength. We hear a lot in the media at the moment about the snowflake generation that we wrap our young kids up in cotton wool to protect them from criticism or adversity. We give the whole class winners and runners-up medals so that no one gets upset. And that creates problems down the line when our youngsters don't have the battle scars and the street smarts to navigate a very unfair world when they enter it. Well, Addy's no snowflake, he's a diamond. By choosing adversity and refusing special treatment, it bolsters his resilience and made him the person he is today. Through his inspirational career, he was awarded an MBE in 2005 by the Queen. But it wasn't that award which ranks highest in his memories, as he now explains. I've had so much um, good advice from teachers and people you'd call mentors uh, along the way. And, and I think part of the reason why I got that is because I showed so much enthusiasm, you know, and so much passion for what I wanted to do. And when you do that, it encourages other people to want to help you. If you see someone that's working hard um, and that's really passionate about something, it, I think something about it makes you empathise with them and want to help them. And so um, in that respect, I had, um, I suppose the first real teacher that gave me that real edge was a teacher called Mrs Singleton. I think her name's now Mrs Samford. And she was in my primary school and uh, this is what, but this happened because we were having swimming lessons. You know, the usual thing at school, you, you, you go to learn to swim. And I'm terrified of water. I was all, I, I'm, I'm better now. Um, but when I was a kid, I was petrified because, you know, I, it was deep water, it was quite a struggle to swim. And also going swimming uh, did something, it, it, it's, it's, it's tough when you're disabled because you are really exposed because it's for the first time that your friends, your schoolmates, see you in swimming trunks. You know, when I'm in swimming trunks, I've got polio, so you see how skinny my legs are. You really see the person's disability. So first of all, on that, on that side of things, it was really tough as a body image thing. When you're seven, eight, nine years old, you know, you, it, it, 
that that's a big point, you know, how you look. Um, and, and so on that side of things, going swimming was, was difficult for me. But then once we got into the pool, swimming is a lot of it is about being able to kick your legs. Yeah, and I couldn't really kick my legs and I couldn't really kick one. I could only kick one of my legs. So I struggled and my friends were going up and, and they were swimming their width, they were swimming their length, they were going on to their survival courses by the time they were like 10. And for me, I was struggling with swimming, really struggling. And I remember week after week going to assemblies at school, seeing my friends going up and getting their width badges put up and feeling extremely jealous. And I started to get depressed. And Miss, Mrs. Samford um, could see that I was struggling and she created, and she, I think she went home and she thought about these things and thought about how I could um, be included and how I could achieve what I wanted to achieve. And she felt that one of the problems that I had is my legs were not um, buoyant, they kept sinking. So she went home and she stitched this float, she made this special float, which she attached to my leg and it kept my legs up. And then I was able to use my arms. And you know, for, so for a first year, I didn't have this float and I couldn't swim. And then the second year she made this float and within weeks, I was able to swim. And I still think one of the proudest moments of my life, you know, you could put aside the medals, the, the accolades from the Queen, but one of my proudest moments is as a nine-year-old kid going up in front of assembly and getting that little width badge that you get, saying that you swum the width of a pool. And, and that was the first achievement. That's the first time you thought, yeah, I can do things. And that probably, you know, sparked me on to want to do more. So even as we approach middle age, we can still remember those formative moments of shame or celebration in our early years. Maybe you had a Mrs. Samford, or maybe you're a teacher now. And that's such a heartwarming story of the teacher finding a clever solution to help Addie to rise from that moment of embarrassment. This was a great reminder for me too. We're all so busy But if we stop and reflect on those people around us and what they need, we can often do something quite simple that can transform their confidence and transform their life. So we've already established that Addy wanted to take personal accountability and and have that self-reliance. And we've heard about his courage and his resilience. But what about his motivation? What was driving him in those early years of his sporting career? What drives me? Well, first of all, in my, in my sporting career, I think it was to be the best that I can be. And I think it's something that's always, it, it's, it's much overused, I, I suppose, especially now with the Olympics and Paralympics coming up, everyone's always hearing, be the best you can be, be the best you can be. But genuinely, to be the best athlete that I could be excited me. You know, because I thought, if I could be the best basketball player, that Adia Devitan could be? How, could, how good could that person be? Where would he be on the, on the world scale? And how far could you take your career? You know, it, and, and I think it's a wonderful, wonderful experience when you are playing at your best. You know, I, I would be in the sports hall. When I first got into a wheelchair, when I first started playing wheelchair basketball, um, and, and I tried to shoot the ball, I couldn't even reach the net. I was a skinny kid who's, who was, the ball was probably bigger than me. I couldn't reach the net. And I just went home 
and practiced and practiced. And every time I got closer and I got better, I got this, it was almost like a, a, a chemical um, buzz with inside me and something was released and I felt really like excited and, and really satisfied. Um, and, and each day I just wanted to be a better player. And, and I think that's what drove me and it excited me. It's like, how good could you be? And I, and I think everyone should, should say that, how, or, or ask themselves that, how good can you be? And there have been moments, very few moments, where you, where, and, and athletes talk about it, they call it the zone, when you get into this zone. And I tell you, it is awesome. It is awesome. I remember playing against Australia in the Roosevelt Cup. Um, it was about a year before, uh, no, it was about six or seven months before Athens. And I was on fire. I mean, I, and, and it felt like an out-of-body experience. Everything I did just worked. And I think that came from the thousands and thousands of hours on the basketball court training and working really hard. And when I was on that court, there was no thinking. It was instinct, pure instinct, you know, defending against, you know, some of the best players in the world and, and, and also contributing offensively. And when I came off the court, I came off the court and my team gave me a, 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 an ovation. You know, because they said they'd never, you know, it was incredible. They'd never seen someone just dominate on the court like that. It's just wonderful. I mean, to have that, I think everybody at some point in their life should experience that. And it becomes like a drug. You become addicted and you want to find it again and again. So this is another brilliant strategy to compare yourself today to what you were yesterday or last week and try and create that continual path of improvement. There's no one else in Addy's peer group or in our peer group that's like us. So comparison can only end up making you feel dejected or like a victim or like you're, you're sort of worse off than everybody else. So when we're self-referenced and take accountability for driving our improvements in our own skills, that's incredibly liberating. And Addy's hunger to chase down his personal best in training in his wheelchair basketball career became a drug. And with years of focus and dedication, he mastered his agility in the chair, his tactical thinking and his hand-eye coordination to the point where he could dominate on a world stage. Imagine that feeling, knowing that you're at the top of your game and it's all down to your own hard work. I think that's so inspiring. We've talked before about the importance of having or developing a growth mindset rather than just thinking all of our success comes from natural and fixed talent but we use that goal of improving every day and using that longer term goal to help us to adapt and to improve until we get to that next level of performance. I've used this next insight from Addy in loads of my keynote speeches and, and workshops recently because I think it's so relevant for entrepreneurs and execs that are experiencing change. It sums up the personal pain and discomfort that we get from having to learn a new piece of software or learn a new technique, but also talks about the courage and confidence that we need to be able to make that first step. I feel I'm mentally tough and, and I've learned to be mentally tough. I don't think you, you're, you're, you're born mentally tough. It comes from um, years of experience. Um, and mental toughness is, is for you to have a goal um, to be able to set yourself a goal, to know what you want to do um, and to find a way. 
is to be so bloody minded, but you're, you're able to find a way. I mean, you, you almost have to be quite selfish and, 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 and focused, but also open to learning from your mistakes. And sometimes it's really hard and it's contradictory for athletes because we have massive egos. We, uh, to, to get to the top, you, 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 you have to sometimes feel you're a little bit better than other people. And it's, it's hard for me to say because I don't, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I have that in, in, inner built confidence. Um, but then there are times where you have to be prepared to, to have that stripped away and be able to start again. You know, to have that foresight to say, okay, what I've been doing for the last four or five years is absolute rubbish. I need to start again and I need to rebuild and become better than I was before. So maybe it's just being prepared to do what it takes to be better than you used to be. So it's that balance between the self-belief and knowing that we're good enough to achieve success and the humility and the curiosity to wonder what's next and wonder what it would be like if we make that next step. This is the hallmark of the great performers and Addy sums up that balance perfectly. But aside from the grind of continual improvement, sport presents these high pressure moments which can often be career defining. And Addy's ability again to reframe this mental challenge from the judgment and the fear of failure into something positive was so refreshing and insightful. To have pressure in sport, uh, and, and, don't, and let's not connect it with, because there are people in, in the real world, you know, who are, who, who are struggling with pressures with work and stuff like that. that, that's different. But pressure in sport, you know, pressure in, in, in if, you, if you've got a great job and you're trying to, 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 to do even better, I think that's a privilege because it shows that you're being given an opportunity to, to, to be better. You know, I felt pressure when I, was, um, when I was trying to get into the national team, but that was because I was being given an opportunity to get into this elite group of people. It was an opportunity and, and it was a, it, I looked at it as a privilege. It was something that was great. It was something that was going to make me a better player. And it did. So, yeah, you've got to, you've got to switch it on its head and, and not, not say, look, this is something that's going to hinder me. You've got to say, this is something that's going to enhance me. Just embrace it. Take it on. Say, yeah, I've got it. And millions of people would like to be in my position. So what opportunities do you have coming up that seem like a high pressure situation that actually could be reframed, as Addy says, as a privilege? If we can reframe this narrative in our head, then we might actually be able to prepare better, to be more focused and to be more confident running into that performance. And that's where this mindset is truly transformational to our results. Despite Addy's success in winning gold and bronze medals with his Team GB wheelchair basketball team. Like every athlete, our time comes to retire and move into a second career. For professional people who've been obsessed on one singular path since the age of eight or nine, this can be an incredibly emotionally charged time where part of your identity feels like it's dying. How can we replace those feelings of elation when the final whistle's blown and we know we're about to be crowned champions? 
How can we access that sense of bond and togetherness that we have in high-performing teams? For decades, we introduced ourselves as a basketball player or a cricketer, and now we have to use that subtle but terminal prefix, former. And Adi now explains what that period felt like from his perspective. I think um, change, as, you, as you've mentioned, for an athlete, you know, go, uh, that transition of going from athlete to living in the everyday world, the workplace, but going into the workplace um, I, is probably one of the hardest changes I've ever had in my life. It was extremely difficult because when you've played um, in a world championship final, Paralympic finals, semi-finals, and you played in front of 20,000 people in the Paralympics and, and in the world championships, to find that buzz, to find that adrenaline, that, that, that high, that sense of satisfaction that you get from that, to find that again is almost impossible. And you feel, once you've changed, that you'll never find that, those moments again. And you suddenly feel that your identity is being washed away. And I won't lie, there was a, there was a moment, and I can remember it now, sitting in my car, phoning up um, the friend of mine in tears, saying, I don't know who I am. Nobody's going to care about me anymore. You know, I've stopped playing basketball. You know, what, what, what's going to happen with me? And it was, it was just really, really, really horrible. And I was scared and, and lonely and I didn't know, I didn't know whether I was going to like get through it. And I, I, I just had all these visions of maybe I was going to have to travel abroad and, 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 and hide somewhere else in, so nobody would see me. So that's pretty raw and clearly Addy surrounded himself with good people, talked about his emotions and slowly navigated that transition. But it's important that even though his job and his uniform might have changed, his personal strengths and leadership qualities could be totally portable into his next career. So it can help to see ourselves as being a competitive and ambitious team player rather than a basketball player or member of a sales team. So if you're experiencing career transition, remember that our role doesn't define where our skills can be used and we're way more than our job title. So as we know, Addy moved through that period of transition by taking more risks as a live TV presenter, retraining and learning a completely new craft. But despite his environment changing and swapping a ball for a microphone, his mindset remained his greatest asset. Driven by that hunger to learn and improve every day, he's forged a successful career with the BBC and it's transcended sport and moved into travel shows and documentaries around the world. Asking a, an interviewee about their legacy is a common closing question, but it's true that ultimately all that's left behind is the impact we've had on other people through our careers and we're really interested to hear Addy's personal reflection about his sporting legacy. And it gives us a brilliant closing message. I just want to be remembered for someone who, who just went for their dreams. You know, who, who, who didn't worry about or didn't allow things to get in the way or barriers to, to stop me from, from moving on. You know, and... And I want people to realise out there that if you have a dream and if you're really passionate about something, you know, and I love passion because passion doesn't lie. It's 
one of the purest emotions out there, you know, um, that you can achieve anything. I love that point, that passion is one of the purest emotions and can't be doubted. We're so impressed when people work hard and are fueled by a passion for a particular job or task. But before we tuned into this, I'm sure we all had our own challenges that we have in our work, our relationships, our well-being. And it's easy to lose heart with all the bad news around. But I hope you agree that this insight into Addy's mind can help us all to reframe our setbacks into lessons and our highest aspirations into realistic targets. Addy's career, both on and off the court, is evidence that when talent meets tenacity, very special things can happen. I really hope you've enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please do share the link in your social media post and tag me and I'd love to hear your reflections on the episode and the podcast in general. And if you've got any questions or you need any support for your business, please do get in touch via hello at sportingedge.com. But until next time, let's stay positive. And as Addy says, let's keep finding a way to win. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.